Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, another big Eagles win down in Dallas to talk about as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 33. Leading off on this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where Greg Costell and I are going to look back at Sunday night's thriller down in Dallas and preview the Miami Dolphins on tape. After that, we've got two technique with cornerback EJ Biggers and I are going to break down the cover three scheme. What are the different responsibilities of different defenders, both deep and and underneath, we're going to cover all that with EJ, and then we're going to close the show like we do each and every week with Saturday Scouting. This time we've got Joe Rexroad, a Michigan State beat writer. We're going to talk about Connor Cook. We're going to talk about Shalit Calhoun, some of the other big prospects there for that Michigan State program after their tough loss this past week to Nebraska. But before we get into all that, it's time to welcome in my favorite guy in the room, the man with a plan, my one and only esteemed producer, Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? How you doing, sir? Doing all right. BT was down in Big D for the game. Yes, sir. Now, I know that there's got to be some conflicting feelings when you're on the road. It's Sunday night. We go to overtime. <laughs> How quickly do the thoughts creep in your head that this week is going to be a very long week for you you're after like, recovering from Sunday night? It's just one of those. I don't like, you know, I don't like to have the, uh, the high school monikers, but I was like, OMG, here we yeah. go. You know, you're <laughs> like, so the way the second half went, I was happy that. We obviously took the lead. They go down, they kick a field goal, and I actually was uh, kind of right under the upright. So I'm I'm tracking the ball, and I see it hit the, the post. I'm like, oh, we're going to miss? Oh. That's so a, that was at, our reaction. To the at at that well. point, I said, all right, add an hour and a half to the flight, add an hour and a half. You know, so you just know we got back, I think it was 5, 5 a.m. So at that point, just you just want to come away with the win. So I was just no happy. Question. I saw him go in the end zone. I said, Oof, made this made this week worth it. Yep, no question about it. It was a, uh, a great win, a much-needed win for the Eagles coming off the bye. Uh, you have you know the ability now. You even with Dallas in the division in terms of a head-to-head matchup with one win and one loss, we already have that win in hand against the New York Giants. Now we just got to take advantage of when we play the Washington Redskins again, try and get a win there, and that really just puts you a leg up in the division race when it comes down to it. But they can keep the momentum going with a big win here on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. Let's dig deeper into that matchup with NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me as he does each and every week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, it's Chalk Talk with NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. And Greg, it's another week. It's week 10, actually, here in the NFL season 2015. Unbelievable that we're already in week 10. Uh, But the Eagles obviously had a huge win down in Dallas, a game that we're going to talk about in, in depth here. Let's start on the offensive side of the football. There are, I thought, a lot of new wrinkles that we saw from this offense, some plays that we haven't seen at all this year, some plays that we haven't really seen at all. Uh, and let's just start in the passing game, really up front in the offensive line, which I thought was pretty impressive. This group missing Jason Peters. You had to shuffle some pieces around. Dennis Kelly enters the game at right tackle. What did you think of the offensive line and their performance? I thought they played well. I thought Lane Johnson did a nice job at left tackle. I thought Dennis Kelly certainly held his own at right tackle. I thought overall... It was a solid performance. Now, it's always easy to say after the fact that the Cowboys don't have a great pass rush, but the Cowboys have exerted, had exerted some pressure prior to this game, and I thought for the most part the O-line did a very, very solid job. It was 
a definite concern, Fran, going into that game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you heard that Jason Peters was going to be out, uh, all the headlines that Greg Hardy was getting, not for the off-field, but what he had done through the first three games of his stint there in Dallas, uh, certainly there were concerns there. And coming off the bye week, even, you know, you had the week to adjust and week to self-scout. It was interesting to see some of the new things they did in the run game that we had seen in years past. We hadn't seen it as much this year. We saw a couple times that inside zone counter play where uh, the offensive line is trying to generate flow to one side for the only for the back to cut back in the opposite flow. Uh, you know, and that resulted in a couple of big gains for both Ryan Matthews and for DeMarco Murray. Uh, just interesting to see how things were able to get going on the ground. Yeah, and they also went back to the unbalanced line. Yes, number and that was, that was very effective. Uh, where they and it was usually done to the left side, where they had three offensive linemen to the left of the center. Kelsey, uh, as I said, it proved effective. Uh, they ran the ball really well on the perimeter in this game. They were really able to get the edge, and and not that we're jumping ahead yet, but just a very quick point. The Dolphins' defense had a really hard time defending outside runs against the Bills this past week. So I imagine you're going to see more of those outside zone runs or sweeps, but getting to the perimeter in the run game. Yeah, no question about it. And you, you talked about that unbalanced line. That was the case on Ryan Matthews' six-yard touchdown run. When I went back and, and looked at the tape, one of the things that stood out the second time I went through it was on that particular play, the pass-offs along the left side of that offensive line because you had – uh, the, the the left tackle that was actually has lined up as a tight end. You had Lane Johnson responsible for pinning inside. You had Dennis Kelly responsible for pinning inside. And you had Alan Barber coming around coming in the around, pool. Yeah. And there was different movement from the Dallas offensive defensive line. And this was something that gave the Eagles so many issues back in week two. And the, they passed it off perfectly where uh, instead of staying on the player that he was pinning that defensive end, Lane went up to the linebacker that was scraping over the top. And Allen was able to pick up the defensive end that Lane had previously had. Just a really good job of communication and just expecting what Dallas was getting ready to do. And it resulted in a touchdown for Ryan Matthews. Well, that first touchdown drive, uh, I think it was the first one, uh, that was sort of the Eagles' offense that we expected to see. I believe they had five or six first downs on that drive. You could clearly see the Cowboys' defense gassed by the middle of that drive. They were really struggling with the tempo of the Eagles' offense. And I think that's what we all expected. Now, keep in mind, and I don't know if this is being talked about very much, particularly since the Eagles' offense has certainly been a little uneven this year, but they now have four... Con- consecutive games of rushing for 150 yards or more, which is the first time they've done that in the Chip Kelly era, and actually the first time they've done that since the last four games of the 1992 season. Wow. So they are really running the ball effectively right now, and and I think the balance element is critical too. They were about 50-50 run-pass ratio in this game against Dallas. Yeah, no question about it. And it was interesting, you talk about tendencies and trying to stay even with the the run-pass uh, I thought that they did a really good job of breaking some tendencies in a play that I broke down extensively in my Eagle Eye in the Sky column on Monday night, uh, the Jordan Matthews touchdown yes. catch, uh, where you know how often over the past three years have we seen them generate flow with one side with run action, whether it was outside zone or sweep, some kind of an, a run action one way for the quarterback to boot the opposite way with an over route and a vertical route to that side. Resulted in so many big plays for Jordan Matthews, whether it was Mark Sanchez throwing the ball, Sam Bradford. That was a play that Josh Huff scored his touchdown on against the New Orleans Saints on that overall yes, very yes. Same, similar concept. Uh, and now you have the ability where that uh, that receiver running the over route 
sticks his foot in the ground and comes back the other way. They had 28 yards the first time they ran it in the fourth quarter, and then they get it for the game winner in overtime. Yeah, and I made it a point today to go through all of Jordan Matthews' targets from this season. He had never run that route up until he ran it. I, I think it, was, it might have been late in the third quarter. Yeah, it might yeah, be right. Yeah, uh, and that was the first time he ran it all season, and it was good for 28 yards. It was against man coverage, and you could clearly tell Byron Jones, the slot corner, and a really good man cover corner, that he was clearly playing the crosser or the over. And then they ran it again in overtime, and Matthews did a great job. Jones, again, really played it hard to the inside. But a very nice wrinkle off a staple concept, uh, and it was the first time all season they had Jordan Matthews run that route. Yeah, and it's something that we talked about last week. We talked about the self-scouting process and what does that really entail? What do the coaches have to do? And one of the things we talked about was, you know, they, they look at what they do well and then try to see how teams are defending it. Right. And then you want to try and develop complementary plays to run alongside those plays to really make them more effective, and that's a great example of it. Plays that look the same but are just a little bit different. And, again, keep in mind, and you and I have had this conversation many times, they're really much more of an execution offense. This is not a highly schemed offense because there's not a lot of plays and a lot of concepts because they're trying to play fast. And when they play fast, you don't need to run a lot of different plays. You can't because you're just snapping the ball – as quickly as you can. But I think that in this game, offensively, they executed extremely well, probably from first quarter to fourth, well, after they got through the first couple of series, as well as they have throughout a game in any game this season. Yeah, I would agree. It was definitely their most complete game uh, on the offensive side of the football. Changing gears to the defense, uh, I thought that you know, you had all the different double coverage concepts, you know, whether it was on Des Bryant, whether it was on Jason Witten, at times it was Cole Beasley. I thought that the front four did a pretty good job of making sure that they were able to get pressure consistently in those passing downs. They gave up some chunk yardage on the run, and I think you know that's something that they'll try and correct moving forward. Historically, this team is very, very good against the run. I'm not too worried about it, but uh, against the pass, I thought the front four, whenever they had a four-man rush and they needed to get home, the, the front four did a good job against one of the better offensive lines. In the yeah, league. I mean, Graham beat uh, Tyrone Smith twice uh, off the edge for sacks, and uh, they were great rushes. Brandon Graham, to me, had a really good game. I thought Cedric Thornton had a really good game in the base 3-4. It's a shame about Jordan Hicks. I think he's been the glue that's held this linebacking unit together. Now Kiko Alonso will have to play more snaps. You could clearly see in his first game back, let's say he was a little rusty. He didn't look like the same level of athlete. You know, it's really funny how games end up. I'm sure you saw the play uh, late in the fourth quarter where uh, the Cowboys ran kind of a deeper mesh and Cole Beasley was wide open. Oh, yeah. And that's, by the way, that was the design of the play. Sure. And why Matt Castle moved to his left with no pressure on him, we'd be having a totally different conversation if he had thrown the ball to Cole Beasley because that would have been a touchdown. Yeah, no question about it. The uh, uh, the defender underneath it, I'm trying to remember who exactly it was, was trailing. Hey, yeah, had, I mean, it, it, it was, was a mesh concept just yeah. at a deeper level. Yeah, no question about it. So... Uh, Eagles certainly lucked out on that play, but again, you talk about that front seven. We talked about Connor Barwin and the player that you know that he's become. Yep, power leverage guy for sure, and he does such a good job of generating speed to power on some of those plays where he sells the upfield rush 
and then he bends it back inside and just drives opponents into the dirt. He did it on one play uh, against Doug Free, the right tackle there for Dallas. Oh, yeah. Uh, and put him right into the dirt. That was it ended up being an incompletion of Nolan Carroll. But uh, I think overall this front seven has really started to come together. I think now that you have Michael Kendricks coming back, you have uh, Kiko Alonso on, on his way to being 100% healthy. Hopefully you've got D'Amico Ryans as well coming back, uh, and this unit can round into shape. And, and you're starting to see Bill Davis, I think, you utilize the personnel in multi-dimensional ways. Absolutely. Essentially, when they're in their sub-package, their defensive line is Barwin, Curry, Cox, and Graham. But if you notice when you watch the tape, they line they all line up in different spots. Right. They don't just line up in one spot. And I thought that the uh, the Kendrick sack was a really interesting concept. Now, again, that was a play where I thought Castle blew it because the, the Eagles actually blew the coverage. Yeah. No one covered Jason, Jason Witten. Witten was wide open. But the point being is that Kendricks came from the outside. They had Cox lined up over the uh, center. So they're moving people around really effectively. You and I have talked for years, ever, when, ever since we saw him at California, uh, about Michael Kendricks and the fact that he's actually a pretty good edge rusher. And it'll be interesting to see if they continue to use him in that way. Yeah, no question. And there was actually another play, too. There was, uh, I want to say it was the fourth quarter. It might have been that final drive where they, they ended up hitting the field goal and tying the game up, uh, where they had the double-A got pressure with Kendricks and Hicks going right up the middle, and you had Barwin looping from the outside yep. and coming right up the middle. It was a great concept against Empty because it was a five-man rush against a five-man protection, and you're able to get a man free against with Connor Barwin. Yeah, no, and I think that that's what Bill Davis wants to do. That's his background. And I was really struck watching the defensive side of the ball how many things they're doing. And obviously they did a lot this week because of Witten and Bryant, and it's not those are two players that they know well in their division and are specific to how the Eagles play, so that's not what they'll do every week, clearly. But there's just a lot of concepts now, and for the most part, the players are executing it pretty well. Yeah, no question. Well, let's flip here to the, to the Miami Dolphins, a team that's really intriguing just because they've got a lot of talent. Yep. Obviously, it's been up and down, and probably more down than up uh, so far through 2015. They made the coaching change a few weeks back after the trip out to London. What has been the biggest change? I would say, because I know initially, after that first game, you know, after the bye, there were really stark changes. Do you think, in your mind, because you've watched Miami yeah, every, week. every week over the you know during uh, you know in, in this new regime, what has been the biggest change that actually has sustained since they made the coaching change? Probably the biggest change with relative success has been Ryan Tannehill under center more. Okay. Now, still, the majority of snaps are in the shotgun. So, if people see the game on Sunday and they see him in the shotgun, don't say, "Oh, he's still in the shotgun." Right. Changes like that are usually not dramatic, but, you know, 10 snaps a game, which may not seem like a lot when you're sitting in front of your TV for three and a half hours, that's a lot of snaps in the course of a game. So he's under center more. They're trying to create more of a run game. I don't want to say a power run game, but they're trying to run the ball more with Tannehill under center and then get the play-action pass game going with Tannehill under center. Because the play-action pass game with your quarterback under center is just different than it is with your quarterback in the shotgun. Because under center, it creates more deception. It's a slower developing run action, so the linebackers have to hold longer. That quick shotgun run action doesn't really hold people if you want to throw the ball in the, at the intermediate levels in the middle of the field. You really need under center run action to do that. Sure, and then you... Uh Really, the other big thing that the Eagles defense will have to be focused on with Tannehill, because one of the things I noticed when I watched them and you know just kind of looking at all their big plays so far this year, 
a lot of the big pass plays have come on scramble situations yeah. where Tannehill's able to break the pocket and his receivers uncover and do a good job of working themselves open uh, for Tannehill down the field and he's able to deliver the ball. So it'll be a, a, interesting to see how the Eagles' defensive line stays contained in their rush, not allowing him to escape outside the pocket, keep him contained inside the, uh, inside the boxing ring uh, yeah. and make him deliver the ball from there. You know, and I think another difference that I've noticed over the past four games since Dan Campbell took over is more two tight end sets. They were predominantly an 11 personnel offense with three wide receivers. Now you're seeing a lot more snaps with both Jordan Cameron and Deion Sims on the field. And uh, obviously, if you have two tight ends, normally defenses stay base to that. So you would assume the Eagles would stay with their base 3-4 personnel to that. Uh, It would depend on any number of things. But they've done a lot more of that and I think that's been effective as well. Yeah, no question. Then you look at this run game. It's a zone run game for yep. the most part. You know, very you know inside zone, some outside zone, split zone, uh, and they do a lot of different things off it in terms of misdirection and trying to get uh, the defense to flow one way only to go back the other way in the screen game. This is a very good screen team, and they try and do a lot of different things off of it. It's a misdirection deception offense for yeah. the most part. And I know you watched the tape from this past week. I'm anxious to see how much more Jay Ajayi is used because oh, yeah. I thought he looked pretty good now. Yeah. And, and you know, not that Lamar Miller is, is a bad back, and he's, a, he's an explosive back, Lamar Miller. Not really a physical back, but he's got some explosion to him. But uh, Jay Ajayi is a bigger man. He's 220 pounds, and I think he gives them a little more in terms of multiple dimensions, not only in the run game, but he's also a very, very good receiver. No question. That was one thing that I know both of us really liked about him coming out of Boise State. That had that physical nature, the ability to run between the tackles, but then also the ability to win in space with his hands uh, as a receiver. Very natural catching the ball out of the backfield. So it'll be interesting. I agree. It'll be very anxious to see. We've uh, got to mention Jarvis Landry, though. No question. Because Jarvis Landry. He's the focal point. Yeah, he's their movement player. Yeah. And, and he's technically their Z, their movement receiver, lines up predominantly in the slot if they're in three wide, but he still starts if they're in uh, if they have two wide receivers on the field. But he moves around a lot. Very good route runner. Uh, great route quickness. Very strong hands. Can make contested catches. Can catch balls and win even when he's covered. Uh, so he's a, a player that they use in a, in a variety of ways. And in the past game, to me, he's the number one weapon. Yeah, no question. I was very impressed with all the different ways they use him, whether it's you know as the intermediate-level receiver in the three-level stretch, and they do a lot of that uh, from the near side, You know whether it's in the screen game, in the misdirection game. He takes handoffs and reverses. Just very, very versatile player, a guy that it's interesting because we both liked him on tape at LSU. He goes to the combine, and he has a historically bad day uh, working out, and a lot of people – we're so quick to dismiss in terms of, uh, well, this guy's, you know, he's just not athletic enough to make it as a receiver in the NFL. Goes, he falls to the second round, and now he's been extremely productive in one of the best receiver classes in recent, yep. mes- in recent memory. Yeah, and, and they're playing another receiver on their team who, you know, a lot of people might not be aware of is Rashard Matthews. Yeah, he's been productive. He's been very, very productive, and he moves better than you think. And look, Devontae Parker, who is there, the 14th pick in the draft they took in the first round, he's healthy, doesn't get on the field right now. Yeah, I mean, Rashard so, Matthews takes all those snaps. That's correct. So he, and, and then Kenny Stills is their third. And Kenny Stills is a guy, he can run by you. So they do have that vertical element. Now, they don't throw a lot of intermediate and vertical passes, which I think is something they need to work more on. I think they live a little too much 
on the on the quick game, the short throws. I think they have to try to create more explosive plays, more chunks of yards. But Tannehill's been efficient this year. He's completing, I think, a high percentage of his passes. He's very efficient throwing the ball. And then you look at their defense. Obviously, they spent so much money in the offseason on Ndamukong So and just his you know disruptive ability up in Detroit, what we saw. And obviously, we know he's a top-five pick, top-three pick uh, in the NFL draft. Hasn't really played no. in terms of a $62 million guaranteed contract, or it was in the, in the 60s. Hasn't really played up to that level. No, in fact, you watch the tape, and it's easy to make the argument that the three best players on defense up to this point are Earl Mitchell, who plays next to yeah. Sue at, at defensive tackle, and the two linebackers, Koa Misi and Jelani Jenkins. Uh, they've, they've been the three best players, most consistent week-to-week players on this Dolphins defense. Yeah, that's exactly – I wrote down in my notes the two best players on this defense are Earl Mitchell and Koa Misi. Uh, and you know, and I would throw Rashad Jones into that mix as he's well. He's had a and nice year too. He's had a nice, yeah, yeah. He, he's had a nice year as a run defender. Yep. Makes plays in the back end. He had a pick six actually on a really well read slant route. It was a package play from the Tennessee Titans. I pick, remember the play made, really well. Made a really he nice read play it. On the ball. That, per, perfect example. You know, it's funny that that was pl- that quick play action right. where you want the ball to come out right away. It, it really had no impact on the defense, and he jumped the route right away. And that's a play that the Eagles run a lot of. Yep. Uh, and so that's one that's going to be interesting to see how they defend it uh, because they've shown the ability against Tennessee, a team that runs obviously a lot of package plays uh, in that offense. Uh, really interesting to see how they defended it. But uh, you look at the continuing this front four, Cameron Wake and, and, and losing him Big is loss. obviously a huge loss because he it seemed like when I go through that tape and you know looking at their defensive plays throughout the season. He was at the forefront of so many of their big plays uh, in, you know, in terms of rushing the passer. They've got some other pieces there, you know, and, and Olivier Vernon, I think, has turned into a nice player. He's not a great edge no. rusher yet, but uh, has coming along. Jordan Phillips, whenever he's gotten on the field as, an ins- as a defensive tackle, has been pretty disruptive as well. You know what they lead the league in? Players named McCain. <laughs> That's true. They've got three of them on their defense. That's a good point. And, you know, it's funny. I brought that up for a reason because Chris McCain, yeah. number 58, right. he played with them last year, and whenever he got on the field, I noticed him, and I didn't know much about him at all. Do you remember him in college? No, I don't. He's tall, lanky, has good movement. He's starting to play more snaps, obviously, because Wake is out for the season. Yeah, He's a player I find really intriguing, potentially as a pass rusher. He may never make it, or he may end up being a nice, solid, rotational pass rusher, but he looks the part on film. I'm anxious to see if he gets more and more snaps. Yeah, no question. And then they, they rotate in, obviously, Derek Shelby as well. Uh, he was more of a power leverage yes, guy, more yes. of a run defender. But, a little uh, shorter and stockier. Yeah. I remember him at, U- at Utah, Utah was. Yep, yeah, yeah, exactly right. So uh, they rotate those guys in. We talked about the speed at linebacker, Jenkins and Misi. Jenkins can run. Yeah, no question. He made uh, one play. Actually, it was a play against Tennessee, but this past week it was Koa Misi made a play on a, on a, on a counter play. Buffalo was backed up. They ran counter, and he he was lined up in the A gap, completely read it, and you saw that short area burst right, to get right, into the backfield. Right. He wrapped up the back for a TFL. Uh, just a really impressive play from Koa Misi, and they line him up in a number of different places. But impressive group up front. They've had some injuries in the back end. And I think Brent Grimes is not the player he was. No. Uh, you would think looking – I mean, to me, looking at the tape, the Eagles should be able to throw the ball. Yeah. Now, again, you know, I think the Eagle receivers, we, we know what the group is uh, – it, but I think Chip is, is ultimately a coach who he's going to do what he 
wants to do. And they, he's going to run his offense. As we said, their run game's been really, really good the last four weeks, almost historically good as far as the Eagles go. So I think Chip will continue to do that. And as, as I said very quickly early on, and we can just make the point again, is the Dolphins had all kinds of problems with the outside run game of the Bills this past Sunday. And you know that the Eagles have been running the ball really well in the perimeter the last number of weeks. Yeah, that's what they're going to try to do. They've been doing it throughout the past uh, couple of months. So very anxious to see how it all pans out. Greg Cosell, appreciate the time here once again on Chalk Talk. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Rant. Another week, another gem from Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Love our weekly chats here as we talk about the Eagles and the upcoming opponent. But before we get into the rest of the show, BT, give us the update. What are things looking like on iTunes and Stitcher and everywhere else that people can listen and leave comments? So we have a lot of good stuff this week. Uh, Joel Stegman, who's actually a, a Vikings fan, gave us a lot of good love. Where uh, He's actually listens to the podcast while he breaks down film. He's a video coordinator, so I know you guys have a lot in common in terms of uh, from your Temple Pass. Uh, but he actually listens to the podcast while he's uh, breaking down tape. So it's cool that we have a fan from another team actually listening to our podcast. And that's a great example of, of the work we, work we do. But uh, if anyone can you know, give us our comments and tell us what they like, what they don't like, we'll obviously we'll cater everything to you guys. Exactly right. And uh, Joel, I, I think that, again, I, I feel your pain as a former video coordinator. When I was at Temple, it was a, uh, look, it's 100-plus hour weeks. It's uh, a lot of time spent in the, in the film room and – you know, you're ingesting the film, and obviously when you're at that lower level as well, you're helping with the breakdown and helping the coaches with every little project that comes up. So uh, that's kind of where I started. To I was just going to ask you, how long does it take bit. you to break down a game in a college game like that? Uh, well, it was – I mean, it was different. And, it, and obviously, like, I wasn't the only person responsible for it. I, re- I really kind of just helped some of the assistant coaches that, you know, so sat in the room as they were doing breakdowns and things like that and just kind of picked their brain on certain things and helped with uh, just the, the entry part of it. So, you know, we're watching each play, and you have to record – every little detail Detail, at every play so you know not just the play-by-play things of you know down and distance and situation and time on the clock and things like that but you know the front the coverage the stunt you know any kind of different tools all the formations on both sides how many men are on the line of scrimmage you know just every little thing every minute detail uh really comes up to it and you you just start to learn about the different concepts in every phase of the game uh when you're doing breakdowns like that that's uh, one thing i learned here with our video guys i always thought like everyone's like oh that's such a cool job you guys work in the nfl you get to see every piece of tape i'm like those guys are here all the time all the time basically their schedule is around the players and the coaches so Anything those guys need from a tape standpoint, they're there provided, which is it's cool that they have access to it, but uh, it can be a grind, but th- those guys do a great job. No question about it. So let's keep this show rolling. Let's get into the uh, our two technique segment here with cornerback EJ Biggers. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Joining me this week on two technique, Eagles cornerback EJ Biggers. And EJ, I wanted to talk to you this week about playing uh, as an outside corner in cover three and just some of the responsibilities, some of the, the issues you have to worry about when you're playing that coverage. Uh, and obviously there's all different kinds of versions of it. You know, there's Buzz and Cloud and all these other different kinds of versions. We'll talk in generalities here, uh, so we're not going on all day. But uh, in general, what is the basic responsibility of an outside corner in cover three? Uh, outside corner is his uh, deep thirds. Uh, there's three deep thirds uh, parts of the field. There's going to be the outside two corners, and then there's going to be a middle safety. Uh, and like I said, uh, the biggest thing uh, most of the time is have to see the, the number two receiver uh, up the seam. And you have to split those guys, and that's just uh, basic uh, cover three. Like I said, you're splitting the number twos and making sure the seam ball just can't get thrown in uh, on the line. But uh, a lot of times some teams 
they won't have a number two. It'll be one receiver out there, and uh, you kind of play that a little bit more like a man. I mean, but like I said, for for the most part, you're you're splitting the zone. Uh, you're playing deep third part of the field. Uh, there's going to be a safety in the middle third, and the corners are going to be the two outside thirds. So, so you talk about that number two. Uh, let's say it's like a four-verts look from the offense, uh, and that's something that the Eagles' offense has always had a lot of success with. How do you how do you have to play that? You almost have to kind of split the difference between one and two. Yes, sir. Uh, you would have to split the difference between one and two by the two outside corners and the two the, the insides middle safety the deep third guy in the middle he splits the uh, the two number twos uh, so he splits those two and then the corner split the one into whereas uh, I mean obviously it changes from team to situation to situation it's tough to do on the fly uh, is there one way you're cheating more so than the other or do you really have to play it straight up the line and just try and uh, split the difference on oh, the base cover three you you want to play it straight up but like you said when you get into game planning into generality and everything like that uh you have different ways of cheating it to a certain side if you want to get to a certain uh, uh player or you want to you want to squeeze a certain guy a little bit more than others but for the for the most part you're just splitting that in and trying to take away the easy throw for the quarterback is there one route concept in particular that you know, okay, they're, we're playing cover three, I have to make sure, other than four verts, that you have to make sure you watch out for? That's probably the, the, big, the, biggest, the biggest one, the four verts, because there's, there's windows down the field, and if a quarterback, most quarterbacks would have strong arms, and they can put it right in the line before it gets to that deep third guy between the, the underneath defense and, the, like I said, the overtop defense. Uh, that's probably the biggest, 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 coverage and play that, that, that killed that coverage. Uh, but like you said, most teams um, are working on that a lot more because, uh, you know, for the most part, everybody sees Seattle does it. So uh, that's a big, big thing that everybody's working on now and trying to master that coverage. Great stuff there from EJ. He did a great job breaking down cover three for you just so that now I can quickly break down how to subscribe to a podcast. It's really easy. All you do is just go onto that fancy smartphone that you've got, whether it's the newest Droid, you've got the iPhone 6S, whatever you've got, you can go on, find your native podcast app, search for the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, hit subscribe. We have a number of different podcasts that we offer, including this one, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, the Eagles Insider podcast, the Journey to the Draft podcast, which is in full gear right now as we prepare for the NFL draft process and the rest of the offseason. And if you want as well, if you like hearing my voice, I'm on with Ross Tucker every week on the College Draft podcast where we talk about the drafts and college prospects and college football as we're getting closer and closer to the playoffs. But while we're talking about college football, let's wrap the show up like we do each and every week with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Joining me this week on Saturday Scouting, Michigan State football beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, Joe Rexrow. Joe, I appreciate the time this morning. As always, we really want to try and dig deep into some of these players off the field. What are they like character-wise? Are they great leaders for their respective teams? And we'll start with Michigan State. We'll start with the Spartans here. And quarterback Connor Cook, regarded as one of the top senior quarterbacks in the entire country, uh, really excited to hear what you've got to say about Cook. What has your interactions been like? whenever you've dealt with him away from the football field? Yeah, well, of course, you know, Connor Cook, I mean, it's been talked about a lot this year, the fact that he wasn't voted a captain um, as a fifth-year senior. And, you know, I actually, you know, before that happened, uh, I did a little thing where I predicted the captains, and I, and I predicted that he wouldn't be one, not because he isn't a leader. I mean, he's one of the 12 um, leadership council guys on the team, but he's not 
uh, you know, not a real rah-rah guy, I guess you would say. Kind of the guy who does, does, does his job, does it very well. And he still commands the huddle. You can see him on the field. Uh, you know, he commands things out there. Off the field, he's, he's kind of a, uh, you know, I mean, he's kind of a laid-back kid. You know, he's a friendly enough kid. Um, I guess sometimes a little bit aloof. Um, you know, he's a kid who I think uh, works really hard. I mean, there's no question about that if you look at how, how far he's come as a player. And he can bear down and be serious, but he's been described by teammates often as, you know, kind of goofy, kind of a jokester, guy who likes to have fun, get around a little bit. Yeah, that was what I was wanted to ask you about, was just the fact that he wasn't named a captain. It's, it's so rare that you see a guy who was a three-year starter, a starter at the quarterback position not named a captain. Uh, is that something, I know you say you expected it, was it a, as big as a, a surprise this year, or were you more surprised even last year as a redshirt junior not being named a captain? I mean, I guess, I guess this has been a long story for you guys that have been there uh, as you know, covering the team week to week, year after year, uh, but very interesting to hear from a national stage. Yeah, well, you know, last year he wasn't one of the 12 uh, people on the leadership council, which means he wasn't even eligible to be voted a captain. Now, that council is – so, you know, this is – Antonio does it, I think, a little different. Mark Antonio a little different than some people. He has this 12-man leadership council that is kind of voted throughout the year by the players. So the players pick it. And as a junior, Cook wasn't one of the 12. So, you know, the fact that he was one of the 12 as a senior, as Antonio has pointed out, demonstrates that he really did work at being a better leader at, um, you know, just kind of getting more involved with guys and things like that. Uh, but, you know, if you look at – so then of those 12, what they do is they, then they say, okay, you're going to vote for three who will be known as the team captains. And then the, every game there's a fourth captain that rotates among the other guys. So, you know, so he's in the top 12, not in the top three. To me, first of all, you know, if you're going to vote three, they had two guys who were absolute locks, 100%. You knew they'd be captains. They had Jack Allen, All-America center, Sully Calhoun, All-America defensive end. They're both just, you know, obvious captains. Sully Calhoun's a two-year Captain, everybody knew Jack Allen would be one as a senior. So there was one spot left, and basically Darian Harris, who is a tremendous leader, another fifth-year senior linebacker, a guy who's very popular in the locker room and just really, uh, was, you know, really took it seriously and 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 really wanted to be a captain. He got he got the vote edged out Cook by my, from my understanding, you know, it was close. But um, so you know, I, I think I think it was a little bit of a disappointment for Connor because he wanted to be. First of all, he knows that. Uh, you know, this is going to be a big discussion now. I mean, this is probably going to be the question he is asked most as he goes through this draft process. Uh, you know, every team will want to know about that. But, you know, he wanted to be a captain, I think, and I think he worked at it. But, again, I just if it's coming down to a top three, you know, sometimes there are just better leaders at different positions. Very interesting. Well, one of the guys that's been the top target for Cook throughout the season, senior wide receiver Aaron Burbridge, who – you know, from an NFL draft perspective, has kind of come out of nowhere here uh, to be a really big-time receiver, one of the best in the conference, very strong hands, very strong uh, at the catch point. What is Burbridge like away from the field? What have your interactions been like with him? Burbridge is a guy who probably had to mature a lot. You know, he was thrown in as a true freshman, and he was the top recruit in the state of Michigan back in 2012. That year, Michigan State really struggled offensively. They were, you know, they had just, Kirk Cousins had just, moved on to the NFL, and so they had Andrew Maxwell quarterback, and, you know, they had a lot of issues scoring and, and moving the ball. So Burbridge was activated a few games in and immediately made a huge splash, and then he sort of faded. And really, he's kind of 
I think he's kind of had to grow up a little bit. He's a very quiet guy, at least around us. Does not like to talk, doesn't say much. Um, but you can see, I think, more than anything, certainly his play more than anything, but even his interaction with teammates and things like that, you know, he, he looks like a senior who's finally figured out how to really put it all together, put all route running. As you said, he's, he's been so great going up to get balls this year and just so – uh, you know, his, his double moves, I mean, he's just been so, changed the direction. You know, he, he's worked so hard on his crap. A very quiet guy, though, certainly, you know, not a guy who, um, you know, would be considered a leader at Michigan State or anything like that, but uh, he has become a great player. Well, two guys along the, uh, along the offensive line who are draft eligible. One you mentioned already is senior center Jack Allen. The other is left tackle Jack Conklin, who uh, is, a, is a junior by, uh, by eligibility standards, but obviously has NFL talent. What have you seen from those two, those two guys? I know you said that Allen is clearly one of the top leaders on the team. Uh, does Conklin, uh, is he close behind? He is. And Conklin's also on that 12-man council. And, you know, if Conklin were to come back, for a senior year, I, I think that there's a great chance he would be a captain, although I, I highly question whether he will come back because I think he's good enough to be a really good NFL left tackle right now. Um, but, yeah, Jack Allen, Jack Allen is sort of, you know, if you have a good cop, bad cop situation, he's the bad cop, you know. <laughs> he is the guy who, young, you know, Malik McDowell, incredibly talented player for Michigan State, sophomore defense tackle. He talked about his first day, you know, going against, you know, the, the ones offense as a freshman, and Jack Allen just, you know, just put him in the dirt and, and, and let him know about it. And that's kind of what he is. He's the enforcer. He's a tough guy. Um, but he's also a guy who, you know, put his arm around guys. He's, just, he's an all-around excellent leader, excellent player, gets the most out of himself. And the fact that he played some left tackle this year when Conklin was out with a knee injury as a center, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. And he did awfully well, too. Um, but he's just a guy who um, – Maybe not the most athletic guy in the world, but has absolutely maxed out what he has, and you don't really get any tougher than Jack Allen. All right, so then on the defensive side of the ball, another guy that you said, certainly one of the leaders on this Michigan State team, Shalik Calhoun, the defensive end, who's just been such a big part of that defense going back to even 2013, that Rose Bowl season. What have you seen from Calhoun? What have your interactions been like with him away from the field? Yeah, just – Tons of fun from the start. I mean, he's kind of the face of the program, you know. I mean, he's just a guy who takes over a room when he walks into it, um, really cares for his teammates, you know. I mean, he can get fiery and all that, but, but he's a guy who, you know, is a mentor to a lot of guys. He's very mature, but at the same time very playful. I mean, he's a guy who, when he's done with football, I think people will be fighting over him in terms of TV jobs. You know, he's just – He's really funny and, and smart, and, uh, uh, you know, just it, he's a great representative for Michigan State, too. And then lastly, Joe, in the secondary, R.J. Williamson, the safety, what has it been like dealing with him? And then do you think the coaches re- rely on him to be a leader on the back end there in the secondary? Yeah, well, I mentioned to you that I, uh, you know, predicted captain, and Williamson was actually my third prediction. I predicted him to be the third guy, and uh, he's one of those leaders. He's absolutely a leader. I think he's, you know, he's probably, of the people I've covered, and I've covered this beat for, you know, many years, probably the best leader who wasn't a captain I've ever seen. I mean, he was very close, clearly, and uh, really mature guy. Um, kind of like Calhoun. He's a mentor to a lot of guys. 
Um, but he's, he's, he's much more serious and just, uh, you know, just really, you know, stresses, you know, just doing the extra work and things like that. Again, a guy who, good athlete, but I think he's, he's really maxed out what he's done. It's unfortunate for him, of course, that he had the, the torn biceps and uh, had to have surgery, and he'll probably be back at the end of the year because he was having his best year playing his best football. But still a huge presence for this team in the locker room on the sidelines. Joe Rexroad, I appreciate the time here again. You could follow Joe at Joe Rexroad on Twitter from the Detroit Free Press. I appreciate the time here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Great stuff from Joe. Again, you could follow him on Twitter at Joe Rexroad. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. Give me a follow if you like what you're hearing on this podcast. I tweet out the links to this one, all the other podcasts I'm a, par- a part of, the Eagle Eye in the Sky po- uh, column. You can notice now, I don't know if you noticed, BT, because I know, I know you follow me on Twitter. Is, Absolutely. <laughs> BT is actually not on Twitter, which is unbelievable. But I actually uh, do stalk people's Twitter. You do stalk people on Twitter. Okay, well, I do. Now, instead of posting my videos to Vine that go in the column, I actually post them all to Twitter right now for a lot of different reasons uh, from my standpoint. But, uh, you know, it, it's all of the, the video breakdowns and things, I put them on Twitter. It's great. I love going back and forth with fans and talking about individual It's nice plays. to have a visual for stuff. So Absolutely. You guys should definitely check it out. No question. So, a lot, whole lot more. So, and I, I obviously, I always appreciate everyone that gives us love and promotes the podcast on social media, like John Stiegel. Like John, exactly right. That's, that's, that's a great example of somebody who's not an Eagles fan but still appreciates what we do. No so, question. Speaking of college football mode, what matches we have this week? All right, so you know, the, after last week's slate of games, it's not exactly to the same caliber. We don't have an this LSU week. Alabama this. Yeah, week. we don't have LSU Alabama. There's no Florida State Clemson. You know, there's still some good ones in Oregon. Uh, Stanford's a big one. Uh, Utah takes on Arizona. That's a big game. Georgia Auburn's always big. So there, there's a couple of big games, but uh, I guess the the biggest one in terms of a matchup that I'll focus on here because we're going to talk about a bunch in the in the college draft podcast that just got released earlier this week. I'll have more in my Saturday scouting column that comes out on Saturday morning. But as always, here are three that I want to focus on for this weekend. First, you've got Utah running back Devonte Booker against Arizona linebacker Scooby Wright, two of the most productive players at either of their positions in the Pac-12. And I'm going to be honest, I think both are a little bit, a little tiny bit overrated, a little bit in my mind. You know, I think Devontae Booker, big kid, real physical, catches the ball really well out of the backfield, and that's the thing I really, really like. I think his third down value will be high when he gets to the league, but my question with him had always been his vision and ultimately really what his ultimate athleticism was. Uh, I wasn't exactly sure if he's that top-shelf athlete or if he's just decent. I kind of see him as more of a rotational guy in a gap scheme as opposed to one of those people that you're going to want to try and get skinny and find creases in the defense uh, to pick up extra yards. Really competitive runner once he's hit, but uh, that was my question with Booker. But he's going up against Scooby Wright, who, like him, isn't a top-shelf athlete, and that's going to be the big question with him is what kind of an athlete is he? Is he a guy that's going to be decent? And you, you know, Because I think that's his ceiling. His ceiling is going to be decent athlete. Uh, or is he a guy that's going to get you beat every time he puts you on the field? Linebacker position, there are areas where maybe athleticism isn't so important. You have to have the instincts to make up for it. And he is he is instinctive. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see where he gets drafted. Ultimately, I don't think that he's going to be a first or second or even a third-round pick. I think he's going to be a day-three pick, despite the fact that he's been so productive at the college level. Uh, but we'll see if he even comes out. I actually kind of think that he's going to stay in school for another year. They beat USC last year, correct? At at Arizona, I think? I believe so, yes. I, I thought I watched that game, and he stuck out. Remember, he's number 33. Yes, he So is. he stuck out to me, and so... I liked him. He's uh, all over the field. And I remember he was kind of on the fence of coming out last year. Sure, and right. He, and he stayed. Um, so I, I'd, I'd like to watch him. 
do you have a guy that maybe he compares to that you? I mean, <sighs> I, I don't want to put you in a, in a, sure, in a yeah. corner, but I mean, he's this guy ish. It's tough, you know. The one guy, and I think that he's better than this guy. But you remember Shane Scove when Shane Scove? Oh came yeah, out of Stanford. from uh, Stanford. Yeah, 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 you know, I think and Scove was undrafted. Uh, I think he's, he's on the Forty Niners practice yeah, I, I squad know, right now. I know now. he's on the squad. Yeah, I, I think Browns, he's on the Forty Nine. He might be on the Browns by this point because he, but he was he was on Forty Niners practice squad to start. Um, I think Wright's a little bit better, but same issue, very similar issues there with with uh, with Scove and Scove had knee issues, uh, you know, coming out as well. So that was a big question for him. Uh, next matchup, we're going to that Georgia Auburn game. You've got Malcolm Mitchell, the wide receiver, former cornerback. He played corner his freshman year, was a dynamic playmaker on that side of the ball. Switched over to wide receiver because of his ability uh, to win with the ball in his hands. Going up against Auburn, they've got a couple di- different defensive backs that are in the senior class. That I think are pretty interesting. Jonathan Jones is a bit undersized, but really scrappy. I really like the way that he plays. And then in the secondary, they've got a transfer uh, council from uh, from Michigan who's actually playing. Good amount of snaps for them at the safety position. In, in, intriguing because because he's a former corner, he's got some coverage ability. So if he's in the slot, he might see some Malcolm Mitchell. When Mitchell's lined up out wide, he might see some reps of Jonathan Joseph. So that's the matchup there that I'm looking at in that game. Obviously, Georgia's having enough issues throwing the ball. But when the ball does go in the air, Mitchell's been the biggest play uh, biggest big play guy for them down the field. So that'll be an interesting matchup to watch. And then lastly, we're going to go to that Michigan State Maryland game where you've got Jack Conklin, the left tackle from Michigan State, going up against Yannick Nguike, the edge rusher from Maryland. I've heard that there's a good chance that he may declare for the draft. He's a junior. There's obviously already been a coaching change at Maryland, so he may decide to pack his bags and go to the NFL, especially in a, in a year where there's not too many top-shelf edge rushers. Uh, and Guique is interesting. He's got good athleticism. Uh, I think he still has a ways to go from a technique standpoint, but interesting player to watch. How big is he? I want to say, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he, if I remember correctly, he's in that 6'2", 240 range. So decent size. Not, you know, he's not going to wow you. So not comparing him to this guy, but when, uh, when Ansa came out, is he raw, more raw than him, or is he, does he have a, a better technique? Ansa, well, see, Ansa had a great body, and that was the thing. Ansa right, was like 6'5", like 270, right. and he had a great burst. So, right. uh, so Ansa had that going for him. I don't know if he's as, you know, and that, and we can talk about what what does raw really mean and, right, you know, in right. terms of technique and things like that. Uh, you know, Nguike has been a three-year starter, so he's he's been in the lineup for a while, but uh, still need, definitely needs some refinement. In a lot he's of got some areas. experience, whereas Ansa was, was very raw, yes. just from a football standpoint. Sure. He, he played basketball coming over coming from, from Africa. So, yeah, from soccer, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it should, it should be interesting to watch, and uh, I'll definitely take a look at those guys. No question. All right, well. Let's wrap the show up. Thanks again to Greg, to EJ, to Joe, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. We're on Google Play as well, so you can check us out on there. Uh, Podbay, is, uh, as BT likes to refer to. Yeah, Thank you very much. And if you get the time, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. You're going to your, get your comment right on the air. I mean, how much, how much better is it If you really put some effort into this comment, we will read it. <laughs> we'll give you some love. Exactly. So wherever you listen, just go out, shoot us a comment. We can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.